Well, as we continue considering what Presbyterians believe, uh, hitting the topics covered in the Westminster Confession of Faith, we come this evening to the topic of perseverance of the saints. And our beginning point with Scripture will be in John chapter 10, verses 22 through 30. I'll read that here now. So let's attend with reverence to the reading of God's holy word as he gave to the Apostle John, who wrote these things down, superintended by the Holy Spirit, and so we know that there is no error in the scripture as it was given to John. And so, again, let us attend with reverence to the reading of this holy word of God. John 10, verses 22 through 30. Now it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, And it was winter, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name. They bear witness of me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And this ends the reading of God's holy word for us at this time. Let's pray that he would bless it. Lord, we do pray that you would bless the reading, the exposition, the hearing of your word this evening. We pray that all would be said to your glory, and that everything that is taught from this pulpit would be correct and would be received correctly in all humility and applied to our lives, that we might glorify you all the more in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned, we do come this evening to the topic of perseverance of the saints. So I won't be giving a full exposition of the scripture as usual, the topical sermon here this evening. But we might note here that, just as an aside, that as we begin this passage in scripture, that it was the Feast of Dedication. That's the feast that is commonly called Hanukkah today. It's the celebration of the uh, the defeat of the Syrian Greek, the Greek Syrian Empire, uh, the liberation from it from the Seleucid dynasty, and the uh, commemoration of the events that, as the history goes, that the lamp in the uh, in the temple continued to burn even though there shouldn't have been enough oil there for it. And this is something that happened in the intertestamental period, just a couple of centuries, or about a century and a half, here before the time of Christ. And so it's during that time in the winter when Jesus is walking in Solomon's portico or Solomon's porch in the temple, a common place where people were taught, and people are asking is he the Christ? And he says, well, you won't believe it unless you're of my sheep. To paraphrase it, my sheep will believe it. 
And here, in speaking of his sheep, he speaks of eternal security, of the perseverance of the saints. He says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. So what we're talking about there is what's known as perseverance of the saints. The saints, those people whom God is sanctifying, has called unto himself, are called to persevere in faith, and God, by his grace, causes them to persevere. The only way that we can be true to the faith is if God sustains us in it in the first place. Just as I could no more well up the strength from within myself to lay hold of Christ apart from God's grace, I can't keep a hold of Him apart from God's grace, but thanks be to God, He does give me that grace. The same grace of God which elects a people unto Himself, which gives us the new birth, uh, which creates faith in us, Uh, which adopts us, which sanctifies us, and so on, will also cause us to persevere in that faith. The Dutch Reformed Church, in answering a challenge to the doctrines of grace that I just mentioned there, uh, came up with the mnemonic device TULIP for the doctrine of salvation. If you want the the fancy word for it, that's soteriology, which means the study or the doctrine of salvation. And they gave us this mnemonic device, not a, maybe not a coincidence that this came from the Netherlands, the mnemonic device of Tulip. Uh, <clears throat> there was a, a Dutch town not far from where I was pastoring a church in, in Iowa, and every year that Dutch town has a Tulip festival, Pella, Iowa. Well, uh, the mnemonic device, TULIP, reminds us the T is for totally depraved or total depravity. Uh, Not utter depravity, not that everything about us is sinful, but that sin affects everything about us. The U is for unconditional election, to remind us that God chooses a people for himself unconditionally, uh, based on no merit from them whatsoever. It is based on the condition that Christ would fulfill righteousness for us, but from our perspective, it's unconditional election. The L stands for limited atonement. Now, many many, uh, theologians will say it's more accurate to call it particular atonement, but it's hard to spell tulip without an L, and so we'll call it limited atonement. The notion that Jesus died for the elect. If he had died for everyone, everyone would be saved. Uh, unless his work was imperfect, and Christ's work is always perfect. Uh, So again, this is more accurately called particular atonement, but we need to be able to spell tulip if we're going to use this mnemonic device. So limited atonement. So the atonement is limited to God's elect, in other words. I is for irresistible grace. Uh, God's grace is perfect in its work. It can't be rejected by those whom God has chosen, and it will change them, and so they won't want to reject it, so it's not like we're dragged kicking and screaming into God's kingdom, but with a changed heart, we see God for who he really is, and we want him for who he really is. But the P in TULIP stands for perseverance of the saints, and that's the topic we come to this evening. The Westminster Confession has a chapter on that 
very doctrine, perseverance of the saints. It begins by saying, They whom God hath accepted in his beloved, that is in Christ, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. So notice they can seem to fall away, perhaps. You can stumble, you can backslide, but you cannot totally or finally fall away if you are truly chosen by God. So it's possible for the believer to backslide, to live for a time like the rest of the world, but he will always be brought back to the Lord by God's gracious hand. This is why we never give up on those who seem to have fallen away. Jeremiah thirty-two forty. I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. We see in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul speaks of the fact that he is being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So God begins a good work in us, and if he has begun that good work, he'll finish it. So when God has, as we saw in the last time in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, when he saves us by grace through faith, and then has prepared beforehand for us good works to do, he will sustain us in that faith, and he'll sustain us in those good works. He'll complete that good work in us of sanctifying us until the day of Jesus Christ, till, day, till the day that Christ returns. If you're truly saved, there's no way you can lose that salvation. As we read just now in John chapter 10, no one can snatch you out of Christ's hand. Because your staying in Christ's hand doesn't depend on your own strength, it depends on him. And who is stronger than Christ? Who could snatch you out of his hand? And Jesus says, and if you're in Christ's hand, you're in God the Father's hand, and no one's going to snatch you out of God the Father's hand, he says. You might stumble in sin, you might backslide significantly into living like an unbeliever for a time. You will never, though, totally or finally fall away from that state of grace that God has called you into. That's because your salvation does not depend on your works. If it did, any one of us could just flub up, we could stumble, we could mess it all up. In fact, we all would. But we can't, because it doesn't depend on us, it depends on God. So it depends on the Father's sovereign decree, on Christ's merits and atoning sacrifice. So if God decrees, if the Father decrees something sovereignly, it will happen. If Christ has merited something, it is merited. If he's atoned for it, it's atoned for. And it depends on the Holy Spirit's work in each individual believer, indwelling each one of them. And the Holy Spirit does not fail. As the Confession says, this perseverance of the saints depends not upon their own free will, but upon the immutability of the decree of election flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father, upon the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ. Think of how in, in Romans 8 we're told that, that uh, Christ intercedes for us and the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. The abiding of the Spirit 
and the seed of God within them. And the nature of the covenant of grace, from all which ariseth also the certainty and infallibility thereof. So the certainty rests on Christ, not on us. Think of Ephesians 1, 3 through 5. Here's speaking of the Father's sovereign decree. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. We see in Romans 8, verses 29 and 30, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. This is God's sovereign, eternal decree. And in John 15, verse 16, Jesus says this to his disciples, You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. So just as they were chosen by him, he appointed them that they would remain in him. In John six thirty seven, Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. The notion that somebody could lose salvation once they have it is simply unbiblical. In John 10, 27 through 30, as we read earlier, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now, Next time, of course, next week we'll have our afternoon service instead of evening service. But in a couple of weeks, when we come back, Lord willing, for evening service, we'll talk about how we can have assurance that we actually are saved. How do you know if you are one of the people that we're talking about here who's truly elect, truly saved, and can never lose that salvation? So this is not meant to give false assurance to somebody who has no reason to believe that they're in Christ. Those who have not put their trust in the Lord, in Christ Jesus. It's not meant to give assurance only to those who give lip service to being a Christian. In Matthew seven twenty one through 23 Jesus warns, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So we ought not to have false assurance, but as we'll see next time, if we're bearing fruit, if the Holy Spirit is working within us and we can see that by the fruit that we're bearing, if we can see that we have changed over time, that we've been more conformed to the image of Christ. We have every reason to believe that we are in Christ, and therefore it means that we can never fall out of Christ, because it depends on Christ's strength, not on ours. 
In John 15, 6, Jesus speaks of those who did not abide in him, but he will be sure to cause those who are in him to remain in him, as we saw in John 15. In verse 16. If you trust in Jesus Christ, if you have faith in him, and you stumble in sin, it doesn't get you unsaved. Even if you stumble in sin to a great degree, you might continue in that sin for a significant amount of time even. But you can't lose your salvation if you're really saved. Again, this is not meant to give false assurance to an easy believism. You answered an altar call or you said, I repent at some point and think that you're okay and can go sin all you want. As, that's Paul, as Paul tells us, if, should we sin all the more that grace may abound? God forbid. Uh, that would be evidence maybe that we're not actually saved if we thought that it gave us license to sin. But if out of love for the Lord, if a love for God has been created in you that's genuine, and out of that love you want not to displease Him, that's great evidence that you're actually in Christ. When you stumble in sin then, if you, especially if you don't immediately repent and you remain in that sin for a while, God as a loving Father will correct you. He'll discipline you. As the confession says, nevertheless, they may... Through the temptations of Satan and of the world, the prevalency of corruption remaining in them, and the neglect of the means of their preservation, fall into grievous sins, and for a time continue therein, whereby they incur God's displeasure and grieve His Holy Spirit, come to be deprived of some measure of their graces and comforts, have their hearts hardened and their consciences wounded, hurt and scandalize others, and bring temporal judgments upon themselves." Well, it's possible even for believers to do those things. You know, think of Jonah, whom God spoke to and said, I want you to go to Nineveh and proclaim that unless they repent, I will destroy this city. And Jonah, as he confesses later in the book, knowing that God will forgive those who repent, didn't want Nineveh to repent. He wanted Nineveh to be destroyed. So what's he do? He gets on a ship and tries to go as far away in the other direction as he possibly can to Tarshish, which most likely was in Spain, in exactly the opposite direction. Trying to go as far away as he could. The Lord brought him back. Think of Peter. Peter openly denied Christ. Jesus had told his disciples, you're blessed if you don't deny me. And he warned Peter, you will. And Peter said, I'll never do it. And the other disciples said, no, neither will we. Though I have to die with you, Peter said, I won't deny you. And Jesus said, before the cock crows twice this coming morning, you will have denied me three times. And Peter denied him three times before the cock crowed twice. Swearing that he didn't even know Jesus. And yet, Jesus also promised and fulfilled that promise that Peter would be, would be restored. He would repent, and he did go out and weep bitterly with remorse, and repented and was restored. Think of David, King David, who committed adultery and even murder to cover it up, in an attempt to cover it up was restored to the Lord. 
God corrected each one of these, disciplined them, and brought them back to repentance and restoration. In Galatians, Paul tells of how Peter and Barnabas fell into error. They separated themselves from Gentile believers, and yet they were quickly restored. We can fall into error. We can give ourselves over to sin for a time. I'm not saying this is permission. I'm saying this may happen. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we're not saved. Now, if somebody falls away and stays fallen away, of course, they never really were saved. They would be like those that John speaks of who went out from us because they never really were of us. But even a true believer can stumble and fall into very serious sin and stay in it for quite a while. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we were never saved. This should be a caution to us that even the godly, like David, who, whom God said was a man who walked in his footsteps, even we can fall into very serious sin. And I'm not claiming to be as godly as David. But the most godly among us can fall into serious sin, and it's always a possibility, humanly speaking. The way to protect against that is to use what the confession calls the means of, of preservation. Reading and hearing the word, prayer, the sacraments, regular worship, church council, discipline, heeding the discipline of the church, those things can keep us from falling into more serious sin and elongated times of sin. But even if we do, we'll be restored. Remember that even, even the most extreme form of church discipline, as we were studying 1 Corinthians when we were uh, in the earlier chapters, in chapter 5 and 6, we, we saw that the, the most extreme form of church discipline, that of excommunication, telling somebody, we can't even eat the same meal with you. We'll have nothing to do with you for now. What is that meant to do? But to bring the, the brother back, the one who is erring, who's straying from righteousness, it's meant to show him the seriousness of his sin and get him to repent of it after he hasn't yet repented. Yes, as a secondary blessing, at the, at the worst, it will keep a bad influence out of the church. But the, whole, the thing that we're hoping for, the best we're hoping for, is for the repentance and the restoration of that straying brother. When God's children backslide, we incur his displeasure. 2 Samuel eleven twenty seven says of David, but the, king, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. It's quite possible for us to displease the Lord. Our sins grieve the Holy Spirit, as Ephesians 4.30 says. And Paul cautions us against grieving the Holy Spirit who is within us. And so, he will discipline us by removing some of the blessings and comforts of his grace. Again, think of the example of King David. King David had blessings removed, and there were earthly consequences in his family life, especially for his sin in the matter of Bathsheba and Uriah. Particularly the rebellion of his son Absalom came about as part of David's consequences for his poor behavior. Matthew 26, verse 75 says that, says that Peter went out and wept bitterly when he realized what he'd done. 
That's a pained conscience convicted by God's Spirit. God was bringing Peter back after his very serious error of rejecting Christ before men. When Christ had said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. If you reject me before men, I'll reject you before the Father. He was warned, and yet he still rejected Christ before men. And yet he was restored. As part of your discipline, if you fall into serious sin for a significant time, the the Lord may even further harden you in that sin so that the sin becomes its own punishment as you go deeper into it. In Isaiah 63, 17, Isaiah says, O Lord, why do you make us wonder from your ways? So God is making them wonder from his ways. And harden our hearts so that we fear you not. Have you ever experienced that? You do something that you know offends your creator, but maybe you keep on doing it. And all the while, you you get more and more disgusted with yourself while you keep on doing that thing. Uh, So your guilty conscience punishes you even more. That's part of what God does for his people. Psalm 32, 3 and 4, David says, When I kept silence, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. These sins may also hurt and scandalize others, as the confession says. So that we have, we have to bear the distrust and dislike of others around us as part of God's chastening of us, his, his chastising us. 1 Corinthians 11.32, when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. But of course, God always restores to repentance his people, and so as we go on in Psalm 32, we find David saying, but I confessed my sins to you. And you restored me. After saying that the Lord's hand was heavy upon him, that when he kept silent, his bones wasted away, and so on, David says, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That's the difference. The one in Christ will be convicted of his sins. He'll still sin in this life and he may fall into serious sin for a significant time. But he'll always be turned back to the Lord. He'll always end up confessing and repenting. And when he does so, he'll receive forgiveness. The Lord promises, as we're told in 1 John, that When we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive them. Because Jesus has already paid for them, so it's just that God would forgive them. And he's faithful to forgive them. That's the perseverance of the saints. God will always bring his own back to him. And he will keep them in that faith. In that status in Christ. Into the world to come. Take confidence in Christ. Yes, be examining yourself. Uh, don't, don't assume that you're saved without evidence, but be examining yourself, and if you see the fruits of salvation in your life, know that you can never lose that because it depends on Christ, it depends on God, and God does not fail. Well, let's pray.
Lord, we do pray that you would cause us to persevere in grace, keep us in the true faith. When we sin, correct us. When we backslide, chastise us, but draw us ever back to you, that we might never depart from you. For we pray in the name of our perfect Savior, who does not fail, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.